Rural livability has become a focus at the College of Agricultural and Life Sciences at UW-Madison. Thanks to federal grant money, the college is looking at what assets are needed to sustain Wisconsin's rural communities. I'm Stephanie Hoff for the Midwest Farm Report. One of the voices in the rural livability conversation belongs to Stephen Deller. He specializes in rural economic growth and development. He's also a professor in the Department of Agricultural and Applied Economics. Today, he marries together for us the economic trends in rural Wisconsin and the human elements that play a role in keeping these towns resilient. He predicts the state's economy in 2024 as a soft landing and a glass half full. Because of the Federal Reserve raising interest rates, there was this expectation that we would go into a recession. Uh, that's kind of a natural outcome. Uh, the, the idea is that to, to get inflation down is you need to kind of drive the economy into a mild recession. It looks as though we're not going to go into recession. It looks as though we're going to have a soft landing, which is kind of the optimal outcome. Is interest rates and inflation the main indicator? Walk me through the different indicators that give you that outlook. The spike of inflation was really driven by problems related to COVID. So there wasn't really anything structural with the economy other than the shocks of COVID. So that spike in inflation really was a short-term phenomenon. So the rising of interest rates to slow inflation down, inflation kind of came down on its own. And raising interest rates kind of helped it slow down. But because inflation is coming down, the Federal Reserve really has very limited reasons to continue to raise interest rates. And there's really expectations of not are they going to continue to increase it, but when are they going to start cutting it? And that has really kind of driven a lot of optimism about the economy. You know, another point that you had brought up ahead of this interview was employment. Usually we see a low unemployment rate as a really, really good sign. However, it's also a telltale that we're a little short on workforce, which has been a conversation agriculture has been having for a while now. Tell me about this double-edged sword that we're looking at today. That's really kind of the odd thing with what's been happening with this economy is that the labor market has remained very, very strong. It's partially because we're generating more jobs and we have people to fill those jobs, but that's a long-term phenomenon. That's not a, a current unique situation. We've been facing that for years. The second thing is is that uh, because firms had such a hard time hiring people coming out of COVID, they're really reluctant to lay people off. So we're not seeing the unemployment rate go up as we might expect because of that tight labor market. Now, the question is, what's a tight labor market? What's the correct unemployment rate, if you will? And it's what economists call the natural rate of unemployment. There's always churn in the economy. There will always be people that are unemployed. Businesses are opening, they're closing, they're expanding, they're contracting. There's a natural churn. With that is a natural rate of unemployment. Now, what is that? Is it 3%? Is it 4%? We can't come up with a specific answer. What we do know is that when you start to get unemployment rates below 3%, you're running into a very tight labor market. If you get unemployment rates above 5%, you're starting to get a surplus of labor. So it's kind of in that. Those are kind of the, the benchmarks that we run with. Is there any indication that the tight labor market for farms in particular is going to loosen up? No. Um, One of the things that is coming out of this tight labor market is that workers are able to demand higher wages. And when you get into the farm sector and the food processing sector, um, the margins, the profit margins are such that a lot of farmers and a lot of uh, processors simply cannot afford to pay more. Uh, And that's creating a problem. 
for them. This is where um, we need to think about new supplies of labor, new pools of labor, and we need to talk about immigration policy because that's a source of labor that might be able to fill those lower-paying jobs. Uh, but right now, it's uh, a lot of farmers, a lot of food processors are really kind of in a, a no-win situation. It's never something that can be agreed upon at the state or federal level. The problem with immigration is that we've got two things. We've got undocumented workers coming across the southern border. That is an issue that we, as a country, we need to deal with it. But there's also legal immigration. And we have not revised uh, those policies since the Reagan administration. So I think what we need to do is to try to separate those two issues. One is how do we deal with the southern border and also the northern border. There's a lot coming in from the northern border that we don't tend to talk about. But it's the, it's the legal immigrants that are coming in on work visas, student visas. How can they transition into work visas? We need to have serious conversation about that element of our immigration policy. But we can't separate the two issues politically. And that's why we're kind of we're stagnant, which means that a lot of farmers and a lot of food processors are kind of left holding the bag. The things that we've talked about have been things you can measure. Inflation, interest rates, employment rates, uh, the consumer price indexes, etc. These are things you measure, but it's not the only thing that determines rural livability, which is something the university is focusing on. What are some of those other indicators of the state of our rural economy that you can't really put into a number? This is the whole point of the project. Uh, we received a, a rather large grant through the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences um, that came through Tammy Baldwin's office. And the, the intent of that project is to try to identify rural communities that by growth measures, they appear stagnant. They're, I mean, population is not really changing. The number of businesses is not really changing. Unemployment is not really changing. But these are really dynamic communities. These are really high quality of life places to live. How do, we, how do we quantify that? Can we quantify that? How can we help communities think about the quality of life within their communities uh, beyond simply more jobs, more businesses, more people, more housing? Have you gotten any answers yet? I think that the timing for this type of work is appropriate. It, it's is because a lot of communities across Wisconsin are kind of moving away from a jobs, jobs, jobs focus, and they're thinking people, people, people. They've come to this uh, through the sense of, we can't fill the jobs that we have. Why are we trying to generate more jobs? What can we do to attract more people to live in this community? So the idea really is to shift away from jobs, jobs, jobs to people, people, people. Now, why would people want to live in this community as opposed to another community? It's quality of life. And that's where we're trying to put a handle on that. So you're investing in the local schools, not to produce labor, but because people want to send their kids to those schools. We're investing in parks and recreation. Why? Because it improves the quality of life. We're hosting a farmer's markets, not because it's going to help farmers, you know, profitability. It helps, but it contributes to the quality of life. What are those kind of attributes that makes for a really dynamic community? These questions and concerns about rural livability, this isn't unique to Wisconsin. This is a regional issue. It's a national 
issue, I, you've argued. But does Wisconsin have an edge? Do we have anything that sets us apart? We do. Um, I have a conversation with a colleague that's at Iowa State University, and we talk in terms of like boomerang migration. For example, what we mean by that is youth that go off to college. They go off to get a college degree. They go off to the Twin Cities. They go off to Chicago. They get a career. They start. And then they hit a certain point, and they think, maybe I want to move back home. Why would they move back home? It's the quality of life boomerang migration? What can communities do to attract that? When I have this conversation with my colleagues in Iowa, uh, they kind of say, eh, that doesn't happen. And my response is, well, Wisconsin has a high quality of life. Look at Iowa towns. It's kind of a professional, you know, back and forth a little bit. But Wisconsin has unique characteristics. We have natural amenities. We have forests. We have lakes. We have rivers. We have the driftless area. Uh, we have the Cutteran area. We have certain characteristics that are really unique, and we can build on that. Now, I'm saying this as it's snowing outside, and we just went through a bitter cold. Um, that can be an asset. Iron County was one of the first counties to kind of embrace this idea. And what was an epiphany for them is when they realized that all that snow is not a disadvantage, it's an advantage. And what they started doing was actively promoting cross-country skiing. Uh, snowmobiling, of course, you know, cross-country skiing, snowshoeing, all sorts of winter sports to take advantage of that snow. And they kind of turned what they viewed as a negative into a positive. And it's that kind of a shift that can really make Wisconsin communities very dynamic and very livable. If people want to follow along with the rural livability work happening at the College of Agricultural and Life Sciences at UW-Madison and your work in that, uh, where do they go? Right now we are um, in the early stages of the project and what we are hoping to do is that in about a year period is trying to design a, a web resource to try to inventory this and allow people to uh, kind of contribute and uh, help. One of the projects that we have that Extension has is called placemaking. And we do have resources on the web related to placemaking. So if you're interested, you can Google University of Wisconsin Extension placemaking, and that will take you to this one particular website. That's a particular program, but what we want to do is take some of the things that we've learned from that and broaden it out. Stephen Deller joining us. He's a professor in the Department of Agricultural and Applied Economics at UW-Madison, and he's one of the minds involved in the Rural Livability Project on campus that's looking to find what assets are needed to sustain rural communities. And then they hope to share those ideas with towns across the state and the region. You can follow along with their progress by visiting the Division of Extension online. For the Midwest Farm Report, I'm Stephanie Hoff.